Welcome in. It's another edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz starting off a fresh week here in late September, getting towards the uh, end of this month, which means we're getting closer to Penn State football. Our countdown to kickoff on Tempting Fate, as Sean noted earlier, is back up and running up on Lions247.com. We're at 32 days until that October 24th matchup. This is the third Indiana. time. This is the third time you've broken that out, right? The, this, is, this is the third this different is the countdown. Third time. It's the third. It's the first time we've gotten all the way to Kajana Carter, number thirty-two. It is the third time we have, in some way, shape, or form, kicked off the countdown to kick off. Hopefully, we get to keep going, and uh, that that clock doesn't stop this time around, Sean. But um, I, I referenced it there: the October twenty-fourth matchup at Indiana. Assuming you haven't been on, living under a rock, you're well aware the twenty twenty schedule is out. That came out Saturday morning uh, during a uh, a. A celebration ceremony of Big Ten football felt like also strung along uh, with some other stories mixed in on Fox's pregame show. Uh, but at the end of that, we we had the whole layout. Eight games are known. That ninth, as we've discussed, will be a to-be-determined matchup during the new Big Ten championship week, culminating in a December 19th Big Ten title game. We'll see if Penn State can get into that matchup, potentially try to punch its ticket for a college football playoff spot. So much to talk about. We're happy about it. We've got an upcoming commitment to discuss as well and how that may impact Penn State. We're going to take a look at some really impressive performances from some Nittany Lions commits here later in the show and, and do a bit of an NFL rundown. Some bad stuff happened this weekend. Some good stuff happened this weekend for Nittany Lions alums. We'll touch on all that. But first, Sean, uh, initial thoughts. So the 2020 schedule is out. We're going to go game by game here in a moment, but it's nice to see it on paper and actually, uh, you know, kind of have a plan for coverage. In lieu of that 10th week, since the Fox is only getting nine weeks of Big Ten football, they decided to run a two-hour pre, uh, preview show <laughs> on the schedule. So holding up their end of the bargain to get that TV monies. But hey, as long as those schools uh, and those programs get those TV monies, that's what matters. But uh, this schedule, uh, it's interesting because nobody's schedule is going to be all that different unless you're Nebraska, but you'll have that, I guess. Um, you, you open on the road at Indiana, which is a tough one. I've been you know, preaching about that game for a long time. I think, I think the Hoosiers will be good. I actually do think it'll be good to catch them earlier in the season as that uh, progresses, unless you know, they have more injuries at quarterback like they did last year. Um, but that's a tough start to the schedule. You've got Indiana, and then you've got Ohio State. I know Ohio State is at home, but they're going to get back a lot of their guys, and they're gearing up for national championship runs. So I think that would probably be better served in the middle of your schedule. Um, if you're Penn State trying to break in a new offense, trying to get your quarterback comfortable, it's good that it's at home. Uh, you lose the whiteout aspect of it, but uh, that's just a uh, you know it, it could be tougher to start your schedule like that as as Nebraska has shown, but. Uh, Having Indiana, Ohio State is is not really ideal, and I'm sure we'll get to the rest of the schedule here in a minute, which obviously the degree of difficulty goes down, but that's that's a tough way to start. It, yeah, it's uh, it's certainly not you know the the easy ramp onto the the 2020 schedule. And let's face it, though, I, I think there's I, I have seen fan bases out there complaining about the cards they were dealt, particularly Nebraska's fans. But this is all these fan bases were clamoring for any kind of of game of any sort this fall. So it's funny how fast it goes from please give us football to back to the same thing. We got screwed by the conference, and this schedule isn't fair. That's great. I, I love seeing those conversations because it's way better than where is football? When are we going to get kicked off? And, and these early games certainly are going to tell us uh, quite a bit about where Penn State stands and, and how they come out of that second week, the Halloween showdown against Ohio State. Um, the one thing that, that I have trouble myself remembering I, when I picture Ohio State and Penn State playing 
in late October, I picture the whiteout and it's going to be really strange to recalibrate and, and realize aside from the family of players and coaches, we're not going to be seeing people in, in the stadium, maybe up in the press box. That's about it. Um, so, so that's still going to be strange to wrap our head around until we actually see it. We're seeing it in other college football campuses. We're seeing it in the NFL um, on a week by week basis and what it's like for players to deal with with playing in front of essentially nobody. Um, but when you look at Indiana, they're also going through a transition uh, to a new offensive coordinator. You've got Nick Sheridan uh, coming, being promoted there. Um, and, and he's dealing with uh, essentially a new starting quarterback, a, a familiar name, but he's not the guy that Penn State has really dealt with at length of late in Michael Penix. And Indiana has been a problem for Penn State. Uh, the last couple of years, uh, that trip to Bloomington in 2018, uh, the Nittany Lions were in a, a bit of a rough patch on that schedule and, and really on the season overall. And it took everything to, to get out of there with a the win. We all remember Shaka Tony's heroics. I believe it was four sacks in the final you know, four or five minutes of the game where they made some defensive stands against Indiana. It was a really windy day. They got away with, with a five-point win. And then last year, 34-27, uh, a game that Penn State was, you know, trying to, to, to take the next step to get to Ohio State and, and, punch, and maybe punch its ticket for a Big Ten championship game. Ultimately didn't happen, but Indiana did not give them any kind of uh, easy out to get to Ohio State in that contest. All-time series, Sean, 22-1 to in favor of the Nittany Lions. But when we look at recent history, uh, this is a Hoosier squad that won eight games last year. They were above 500 in the uh, – they went to the Gator Bowl. And what we need to do is, is look at the, the tape from the last couple of seasons. We got a couple of new offensive minds involved in this matchup. But anyone who, who views Indiana as a basketball school and a team that you should be able to lump up on the football field has not been paying attention to the last few matchups here. Yeah, Michael Penix is, I think, very talented. Peyton Ramsey was there last year and did a very good job. Just seems like whoever's at quarterback for Indiana has success against uh, Penn State. So we'll see how that one one plays out. But yeah, that's that's not one that you like. And that's a good defense. Tom Allen's a really good coach. Um, and it's it, it's really come around for Indiana in the last couple of years. I mean, this is really their shot to move up and, you know, finish third. I think their, their over under total is, is five and a half for Vegas, which seems, you know, I, I haven't really done a deep dive on their schedule, but you know, it seems pretty generous or seems pretty, pretty good for those, uh, uh, for the Hoosiers. So we'll see what happens with that, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's uh it's a tough, just a tough way to start. I mean, you, you never know how Bloomington's going to be. Is it sleepy? Is it, you know, are they jacked up because it's a season opener, but you know, that it's been the funny thing because Indiana has had, you know, I, I don't really have the the uh, comparisons beside them, but Indiana's given Penn State a little bit more trouble than Iowa, even. So um, it's been it's been really interesting to see how that one has played out. And then, of course, the big one the next weekend, Halloween, coming home against Ohio State, uh, whiteout. I guess if the parents that are that are going to attend this game are going to be wearing white, white tarps, white, white tarps, tarps do something with it. I don't know. I don't know how they're going to simulate that atmosphere, but got to get something to get that juice. I think that this Ohio State team is so incredibly talented that they're going to have a leg up on the field anyway. But starting, you know, just getting into the flow of things, they should be uh, as as well off as anyone in the league and po- potentially anyone in the country. So that's a tough draw in week two. You'd like to see yourself get a little bit more. Uh, uh, juice into it as we mentioned earlier the offense has to come together you got to see where you're at with some of those younger weapons and 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 try to maybe grind this one out because you were looking for this at the end of the season or or at least in the middle of the season uh to begin with i mean there's uh that's that's a tough draw for me 
It, yeah, so just to catch everybody up on this, I know we've been on Micah Parsons' watch. We're going to talk about Micah Parsons' watch a little bit later, but Ohio State benefiting from bringing some guys back that looked like they were off to the NFL and switching their mindset to professional football. Sean Wade opted back in, uh, he, a guy who projected to be the, maybe the top defensive back off the 2021 NFL draft board. Big addition, a big re-addition for the, for the defense there. And then Wyatt Davis also working uh, to get back to the Buckeyes' offensive front. A lot of times you see him um, as as one of the top two, three offensive linemen off the draft board next year and another preseason All-American. So uh, no one's going to be feeling sorry for Ohio State in terms of lost talent, although they did lose you know stars like J.K. Dobbins and Chase Young. Justin Fields stuck around. He was one of those big names in the spotlight uh, when we were wondering who might opt out. He never did. Certainly wants to challenge Trevor Lawrence to maybe be that number one quarterback and number one overall player potentially on the 2021 draft board. Uh, but, but when you look at this uh, matchup, you know, this is one that it's uh, Penn State has done a nice job uh, under James Franklin and, and, and obviously competing in a year, year in, year out basis to, to try to get to Indianapolis for the Big Ten title game. But this has been the brick wall of late three consecutive losses against Ohio State since that big statement win back in 2016, which often viewed as the turning point for, for the James Franklin era. Um, you know, it, it, it's 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 near enough in 2018 where you've got a lot of players who remember what it was like after that game, and they remember the great two elite comments that James Franklin made. And this should be very, very personal for a large portion of the Penn State roster and the young guys. They won't take long to figure out what this game means. They signed up to play games like this against Ohio State with a lot on the line early in the year. And if you can – handle your business in Bloomington, get back against Ohio State in this matchup. You know, it's, it's, it's a great chance to, to really define the rest of your season and talk about picking up some recruiting juice. You know, we've been talking about Penn State. How are they going to finish out this 2021 class? James Franklin doesn't think it's been up to the standard. You pick up a win before November against Ohio State. You might have some recruits knocking on your door and, and taking a longer look at you uh, than, than what we have right now. So th- th- this is going to be, uh, a, you know, Tremendously compelling matchup. Ryan Day only has one loss at Ohio State, 16 wins. That loss was last year in the national semifinal against Clemson. I think at the end of the day, um, you know, you, you just got to find some counterpoints to the offensive firepower that that Ohio State's going to bring to the table. It, it's really hard to find any weaknesses in that group. I think defensively, uh, there's reason to believe the Buckeyes could slip from what we saw back in 2019. Uh, but offensively, it's just a lot to deal with for a Penn State defense that certainly retains its defensive coordinator. You got the same secondary coaches, a new defensive line coach, and you're going to need find, to find find ways to not just contain Justin Fields, but to get him down on the ground and make his life difficult as over the course of those four quarters. I'm, and I'm curious what the reason. I know, I know they wanted to put uh, Ohio State Michigan at the end as as tradition, and they got that rivalry week or whatever at the end, which is which is all fine. I I have no problem with that. But to put it in week two, I wonder if it's, you know, to get this one out, to get it the, the prominent matchup out, uh, establish yourself early as a conference, and then, you know, whoever loses that game get a chance to sort of make their way back into and climb up those playoff rankings if they got a shot. I mean, you look at how Ohio State starts out the season. They've got Nebraska, Rutgers, and Maryland, uh, you know, say, with that Penn State game in that week two. Uh, that's, you know, pretty favorable. And then Penn State, Indiana, Ohio State, Maryland, and Nebraska. That's, you know, that's pretty reasonable as well. So I think you're setting your big teams up maybe a little bit more for success. It's not an ideal situation for Penn State to play Ohio State in week two, but I think I can see the benefit of them doing so and seeing the benefit of whoever loses this game sort of working their way back up those rankings in the long run. 
Yeah, we, and Nittany Lions fans know well, know too well that the loser of this game still has a shot at the playoff at the end of the, at the end of the day, and and that has happened before. We'll see if it. Well, that's what I wonder. Where's the college football playoff picture going to be? Is there going to be? Uh, it's just it's not an even playing field. I, I don't know if it's ever been a completely even playing field for for the college football playoff because of the different conference uh, conference champion or conference uh, games that that teams play and don't play. Uh, but this year, more than ever, even Sandy Barber said she's not sure if all these Big Ten teams are going to get to eight games over the course of the year. This is among the most notable matchups that we will see in college football, not just here in the conference. And it's one that we're fired up to see in Beaver Stadium on Halloween. Uh, a lot to look forward to there. Follow that one up with a big trip from the Terps. And uh, what a nice way to to kind of uh, you know put Cushion that one. Yeah. yeah, seriously. Whatever happens against Ohio State, you're going to be feeling it physically the next day and the next week and you get a chance to take on a Maryland team that has not had any success of any kind against Penn State in recent years no touchdown scored in the last three matchups last year I was there we talked uh, late that night from the stadium um, in College Park about what I saw and what we saw in a 59 nothing loss that Maryland was hyped up they had their blackout and by the time the third quarter rolled around it was becoming a, a mini whiteout with the Penn State fans who were left there a total bloodbath and, uh, you know, I know Maryland has, has had a nice uptick in recruiting headline by Rakeem Jarrett coming in. You got Tua Tagovailoa's little brother uh, eligible to play at quarterback there. Quarterback has been a big problem for Maryland. Uh, but still, it seems like they have a lot of, uh, of answers to look for there, does Maryland. And, and I don't think they're necessarily going to find them before week three. Yeah, you look at what they lost too. I mean, you, you can talk about the recruiting and all that kind of stuff and, you know, a couple of transfers here and there. But you look at what they lost on that depth chart. I don't think the depth chart's any better than it was last year. And that's uh, that's a scary sight. As we've mentioned sort of jokingly in the last couple of months, if there's a team that doesn't want to play in the Big Ten, it's it's Mike Loxley and, and Maryland. So I wouldn't be shocked to see, you know, some sort of repeat of last year. I know they've got, you know, Rakeem Jarrett's there, a very talented wide receiver. Uh, Little Tua is going to be manning the reins, but they lost a lot up front. And that's, they didn't have much up front to begin with. So the offensive I mean, line took a shot. Yeah, uh, that's and that uh, was some opt out issues, and and uh, that that's a big concern because Penn State had their way with that with that Maryland backfield last fall. I mean, I'm I'm you know we, I did these rankings before the season in terms of toughest games. I, again, more concerned with at Rutgers than than home against Maryland. So that should can you should say really that say again? Something. More concerned at Rutgers um, in December than home against Maryland. So I think that that's, it's really interesting to look at those two schools uh, because obviously the, the, the rosters are just decimated from the last couple of years. And, you know, you've got opt-outs, you've, you're bringing in transfers, you're trying to plug holes and Greg Schiano has, you know, has proven to be a better coach. So, you know, I, I, I don't think that Rutgers is going to be anything special or, or even remotely good or anything like that, but I think they're in a better spot going into this season that, than Maryland. So that's a game, you know, uh, <laughs> mark it down on your calendars, December 12th, Maryland Rutgers is going to play maybe for the first win for each side. I don't know, but that's uh, that's an interesting one. And, and let's be honest, Penn state has struggled against Rutgers and, and, that's a, re- yeah. a relative term considering, you know, the opponent, but Penn State has struggled against Rutgers in the past last year, you know, they were, they had the backup quarterback in, but still couldn't get as much as they should have going. So that's why I rate that. So that's going to be an interesting matchup December 12th uh, Rutgers against Maryland, I guess, to determine who gets in that, uh, that final playoff spot, the big 10 playoff spot, I guess. 
Yeah, we haven't quite determined what that will be called, but the seven versus seven matchup that I'm sure the players and coaches are going to be very enthusiastic to to hit the field and travel to whatever remote site this this situation might be at. But yeah, that's that's what you're looking at. You get the Big Ten championship game and you work your way all the way down to seven v seven. I guess that's the one you want to stay out of potentially. Um, but yeah, that that Rutgers Maryland game probably going to determine who represents the East in that matchup. Um, moving ahead, you've got a, a Big Ten West opponent, the first of, of back-to-back out of the Big Ten West. And this is the, the team that, everyone, that, that folks have really pummeled on a bit um, in terms of complaining about uh, their schedule in a big way. And, and look, uh, they weren't dealt a very friendly hand. Ohio State and Penn State are their crossover games for Nebraska. And, and Penn State will travel to Lincoln. Uh, they have not won there since, uh, I believe it was 1981 was the last victory there. Um, not a lot of matchups between these two teams, uh, 17 all time. They last met in 2017. It was a game where Penn State ran away early. Uh, it was like wintry weather. And then Nebraska started putting up a ton of garbage time points, 56 to 44. The Nittany Lions won that game late in 2017. Um, last time this team headed to Lincoln uh, was 2012, uh, lost 32 to 23. And as Mark Brennan pointed out to me when we were texting about this schedule initially, it was a controversial ending, uh, controversial outcome there in Lincoln for those Nittany Lions. Was that the, I sent you that link. Was that the first time you've seen that with the Matt Lehman touchdown that was not a touchdown? It was. Yeah, that was, uh, that still stings for a lot of Penn State fans. So uh, definitely, definitely will have that on the mind when they go there. As you mentioned, I haven't won there since 1981, but that's kind of a, a skewed statistic when you talk about how few uh, matchups they've had. Uh, Nebraska, what's interesting to me about Nebraska is everybody talks about how tough that schedule is. It actually might be easier than their original schedule considering what they have lined up. They had a, a tough five-game stretch. Uh, Penn State was in there. Ohio State was in there. I think at Minnesota and Iowa and Wisconsin were in there. That's as tough as you can probably get in the in the crossover. I think what, what you see here is they get Ohio State and Penn State as the crossover games, which is just the worst draw you could possibly have. And then they had Rutgers on there as their third crossover, and now all of a sudden that goes away. So I think that's where the jokes come from. It's probably not as bad as we made it out to be. It's fun to to make those jokes, and and it's you know I guess Nebraska was really rooting hard to play this and and go three and five or whatever this the 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 result may be. But it's probably actually a little bit easier when you take a look at how this thing stacks up for the Cornhuskers. A little bit easier than you know originally planned. Cornhuskers fan base um, has kind of embraced the martyrdom uh, aspect that over the last few weeks, and and I and I know that they view themselves as the uh, the the knight on the white horse riding up and saving the Big Ten season. Uh, I guess that's debatable. And at this point, now they have a Big Ten season, and they don't like what they see in front of them for the schedule. But Penn State is there. The big question mark for me is what are we going to get out of Adrian P- uh, Adrian Martinez? Uh, that's a quarterback who uh, when that's I was a down big difference right there. <laughs> there's the big difference. Uh, when I was down in Orlando, um, and, and you were down there too as well for for the um, Under Armour All America game where Jason Oway ended up committing to Penn State, announcing that announcing that decision, and we had guys like a PJ Mustfer and, and Ricky Slade down there to cover. He also had Adrian Martinez, and he was just a couple weeks away from enrolling at Nebraska. He had initially committed to Cal. Um, when he saw Scott Frost make that move from UCF, he said, I'm going to join him. I like what he does with quarterbacks. In year one, you know, we're talking about one of the more productive freshmen uh, across the Big Ten. 17 touchdowns, throwing eight interceptions. He completed 65% of his passes as a true freshman and added almost 700 yards on the ground with eight touchdowns rushing. Last year, fell back to earth. He dealt with some issues, wasn't always available, but in 10 games, 
10 touchdowns, nine interceptions, completed less than 60% of his passes, still an effective runner. You're going to get a dual threat issue with Adrian Martinez, but I think it kind of goes hand in hand with not really seeing the fulfilled expectations that we anticipated thus far from Scott Frost in this program offensively all across the board. Uh, because remember, this is a guy who's coming off, depending on who you ask, a national championship season. Uh, went to Nebraska as the the savior of sorts for that program, and a lot of people put their eggs in that basket. So far, 9-15 and 15 through two seasons, and I don't think we're necessarily seeing him creep towards 500 uh, on, that, on that mark uh, this year in, in, in year number three. Yeah, they've had some issues there. I mean, not only with uh, stockpiling talent because that roster was was pretty depleted when they got in there. Adrian Martinez, I mean, was it too much? Too uh, did you throw too much at him too soon? Because he, you know, he's had some some nagging injuries. Nothing uh, that really could derail a career or anything like that. But those things add up. So we'll we'll see what happens with that. And then they've had guys that have you know just left. I mean, that that's been an issue getting them to Nebraska, the, the staff has done a really good job recruiting all over the place, especially South Florida. Then you get to Nebraska, and some of those guys ha- have left, especially the, the ones they signed last year out of South Florida. So um, I, I don't know what the right track is for Scott Frost, and it, it doesn't seem like it. You know, winning can, can do so much for you, but the way that they've been set up and the way that they've gone about it in the last couple of years, it just hasn't been on the table. And, I mean, you're talking about probably a three-win season right now that's tough because they're not going to get rid of Scott Frost, but there's really no uh, there. I don't want to say there's no hope in sight, but he, he, what do you have to hope for if you're, if you're a Nebraska fan right now, especially with the schedule ahead of you. So I'm not sure how that one's going to turn out for them this season, but you know, you got to think, uh, are you building for 2021? And then by the time 2021 is over, Adrian Martinez is gone. So I don't know how that's going to work out, but I, I it's not how you want to draw it up. That's for sure. A lot of fanfare around the arrival of Frost when he left Central Florida and a lot of unfulfilled expectations here in 2020 to this point. Uh, The next week, Penn State returns home to Beaver Stadium. Remember, no bye weeks on the schedule here. We're looking at nine games in nine weeks, including that Big Ten championship week. Um, November 21st brings the Iowa Hawkeyes. And and I'd understand if you think that the Iowa Hawkeyes are now a member of the Big Ten East because this will be five consecutive years, Sean, in which Penn State will play Iowa uh, 4-0 uh, during this stretch of consecutive matchups, but it's never an easy prospect looking at Iowa. They had to win on the final play in 2017 when Trace McSorley finds Juwan Johnson, heroics from Saquon Barkley that night as well. Uh, back in State College in 2018, uh, you really relied on a terrible performance from Nate Stanley to get that win. A late interception at the goal line by Nick Scott sealed the deal in a six-point victory. Jake Pinninger had some big kicks. And then last year, uh, the Friermuth touchdown that's overturned, uh, stingy defense from the Hawkeyes throughout the night, 17-12 win. It was an important one for Penn State at that stage. Uh, so they've had Iowa's number, but Iowa just keeps showing back up on the schedule and, and nothing different about that in 2020. Oh, I mean, that's that's the game you look to every year is kind of like a hinge game. And, you know, Iowa's always going to be a tough out. And it's like I said earlier, Iowa and Indiana have been those games with uh, Penn State's won. But at the same time, you know, they, they've been very tough, maybe get bruised and battered along the way. Point, yeah. Outside of a yeah, outside of that blowout in 2016, when Penn State just ran them out of, of Beaver Stadium, 41-14. So I, I'm not sure what's to, what's to bring in this. They lost a lot to the draft last year. Um, they, they had some, uh, I guess a tumultuous off season, maybe to put it nicely. So 
I, I don't think this is supposed to be a great Iowa team, but any Iowa team, I don't think the bar moves all that much. We, you know, no matter who you le- who you lose, that Iowa team is always going to be something that is fairly consistent, and they've been fairly consistent about playing Penn State tough. Yes, yeah, um, you lose AJ Benessa, Tristan Wirfs, the top players on each side of the trenches. Nate Stanley put up a lot of big time numbers uh, and left a major mark in Iowa school history, but played really poorly when we saw him against Penn State. Wasn't that difference maker for them uh, in, in a positive way? They're going to have a new quarterback, redshirt sophomore Spencer Petras. Uh, not sure I'm saying that right. I'm sure I learned the name, but he's ter- he's taking over the reins as their starting quarterback. Um, they do still have uh, some interesting talent at, at, at receiving, right? Like Amir smith Marset. He's a, he's a uh, I'm sorry, out of the bat. Um, he's a guy who can do a lot for you on special teams and offense and, and everything. And um, when we look ahead at the next matchup, this is another one that has been really, it's, it's, an, it's just been crazy to, to look at the history of Michigan and Penn State under the direction of James Franklin because it feels like these two teams take turns pummeling on each other on home turf. And, and the, the matchup last year ended up as a seven-point game and where you needed to, to get a stop against Shea Patterson late and you needed to have K.J. Hamler pick up a first down and, 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 and milk the clock at the end of it. But it, that game was, was what, 21 nothing at halftime uh, for Penn State. Sean Clifford lit it up early on in that game, found K.J. Hamler for, for a touchdown. So didn't ever feel as close as it was, although they made Nittany Lions fans sweat in that whiteout atmosphere. But look at the last couple matchups. Penn State gets hammered 42-7. to Last trip to Ann Arbor in 2018, that's where they, they had Trace McSorley out there. Clearly hobbled, not the guy that we were uh, coming to uh, expect in terms of being able to run the ball and do what he does out of the backfield. It was a disaster game. You saw Tommy Stevens in and out for a bit. Uh, and then the year before, on another whiteout game, uh, Penn State stayed on beating. Saquon Barkley takes the first snap of the game directly, goes the distance, sets the tone for a 42-13 to win. Go back to 2016, Sean. Penn State 49 to 10 loss in Ann Arbor. Been a house of horrors, the big house for Penn State. And that was a game back in 2016. It's it's uh it's easy to forget now, but that was the point where you had to have your athletic director supporting your head coach and James Franklin, that that he was the guy to take this team into the future. A lot has changed for the program over the course of the years, but uh, one thing that that James Franklin has not done is pick up a win. Uh, on the road against Michigan, 0 and 3, and 18 to 13 game in 2014. But the last two, uh, there's been no doubt about it. Wins for the Wolverines. Michigan has outscored Penn State 91 17 in their last two games in Ann Arbor, and you know you're you're getting them. I guess this this schedule has me all messed up. So typically <laughs> you would be getting them what mid October. Now we're talking about after Thanksgiving. That's going to be Saturday after be, Thanksgiving. It's going to be an interesting dynamic to, that goes with that now because uh, you're going to give Michigan a chance to maybe grow up some of that young talent, some of the weapons, and, and get their quarterback who uh, you know is, is going to be a first year starter. Get him involved and get him into the swing of things so not the ideal time to go on the road to Michigan but this is one you know if you're Penn State and you want to make or break that season this is one that you you got to get over that hump the way Penn State can can finish out this season with the two matchups that they have you referenced this earlier a trip to uh to Rutgers and Piscataway New Jersey on the first Saturday of December and then you uh, follow that with a game against uh, Michigan State that returns to the end of your regular season schedule where it was for a very long time but as you said the Rutgers matchups Penn State has won these games and it's not necessarily been down to the wire matchups but Kind of pedestrian performances from Penn State the last few years against Rutgers. Uh, you know, even w- when you had Saquon Barkley, 
uh, back in 2017. It took Penn State a while to get going in that contest uh, at home. They ended up winning at 35 to six, but uh, it was one that in the third quarter, you're like, when's Penn State going to make its move and put this one away? Uh, the trip to Piscataway a couple years ago was a dicey affair. 20 to seven, Penn State won that matchup. Um, and then last year, 27 to six, Penn State wins. Sean Clifford was not on the field. Yitor Grossmatos was not on the field. Neither was Tariq Castro Fields. Uh, but it just been kind of strange that Penn State has been able to put away and drop that hammer on, on a team like uh, Maryland repeatedly and do so early. But with Rutgers, it, I don't know if it's a sluggish effect or maybe Rutgers brings a little bit more to the table when they play Penn State. But it's it, it always seems to get into the late third early fourth and you're saying, okay, when does the jugular get sliced by the Nittany Lions? And early December in Piscataway, you're going to bet some weather is going to be a factor in that one. It, it usually is. Um, so, I mean, it's, uh, I, I don't see this as a loss by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, it can be a frustrating game to watch. And that's been the way it has been against Rutgers the last couple of times. Um, also, you know, we say the things that we say about Iowa, you can say the same things about Michigan state. Now mm-hmm. they've fallen pretty far in the last couple of years, but still managed to, to, to beat Penn state. And of course that one in 2017 is the one that they'll be kicking themselves for a while. And then the one in 2018 as well, you know, sort of keeping you from that 10 win season. Um, you know, that, that program has fallen pretty far in the last couple of seasons, um, but they still have played Penn State tough, and we'll see what happens with, with Mel Tucker. Um, and again, I mean, December in, in East Lansing, I mean, you kind of end the season with two of the grayest places when I think of these Big Ten towns, two of the grayest towns that you could think of. So, you know, at what point are you playing or what are you playing for at that point? What are you doing? Uh, you know, because you should win these games, should win them decidedly, but, uh, you know, it's uh, and by the way, Penn State against Michigan State is at home. I don't know why I said it's in East Lansing. I just think of Michigan State and think of gray. Michigan State kind of has a gray thing right now over its program in it general. Does that, so maybe they bring that to State College. I think that was one of the first road games I ever covered. And it was just like sloppy and gray. And then, of course, the the lightning game. And we've seen games where, oh, you know, gosh. that used to be the last game of the season where they played in in snow and things like that. It's just kind of every time you think of Michigan State, Penn State, you know, there's some sort of crappy weather involved. So maybe that's what's clouding my judgment about that. Um, so, I mean, that, those are two games that they should win. Um, but w- what are you playing for at that time of the season? Can you, you know, get it up, uh, get it up and go for those games? And, get, you know, what's, I guess, what's the, uh, the motivation to, to, to win those games decidedly? And once that all gets figured out, and by the way, Brian Lewerke, who at times looked like Joe Montana last year, not so much in East Lansing, which, by the way, it was raining that day in East Lansing last last October. Um, but, yeah, you got a new quarterback to deal with with Michigan State. Not sure what that is going to mean. From what I understand, they've got three, four guys involved in that competition for a new coaching staff. Uh, Michigan State, by the time they get to week eight, uh, they could be they could be a, a pretty battered and bruised program, but at the same time, maybe they will have found some positive momentum with the new coaching staff. We'll, we'll learn a lot about them over the course of those first seven weeks before they come to University Park. And then the following week, December 19th, all of a sudden Christmas right around the corner. The Big Ten Championship game will be held on that Saturday, Championship Week. So the the uh, other matchups, inter, inter, um, cross-divisional matchups will be held uh, leading up to that. And, and so Penn State, could end up in a variety of situations with a variety of opponents. And uh, depending on where they are through the first eight games, there could be a ton on the line or there could be, uh, you know, some kind of bold destination on the line. If, if bold destinations are still a thing here in 2020 and early 2021, we don't know what the postseason will look like for college football. We're still trying to figure out what the season will look like as there's other conferences trying to join the Big Ten and getting back on board, including the Pac-12, the last Power Five uh, conference not involved. 
Sean, Brandon Marcello, national analyst with 24-7 Sports, did go through and kind of rank these Big Ten schedules, the revised schedules, the best he could. Number one uh, in terms of difficulty was Nebraska. That's been pointed out by a lot of people. But you look at the bottom of this, and it's three teams that could very well contend for a Big Ten title at the end. Uh, three teams expected to do so. Uh, number 12, Penn State. Number 13, Wisconsin. And I know our listeners will love this. Consider the easiest schedule by Brandon, Ohio State at number 14. Well, Ohio State doesn't have to play Ohio State. Wisconsin doesn't have to play Wisconsin. Penn State doesn't have to play Penn State. I mean, when you take the, I guess, the eight-game schedule, the the small sample size, that's that's what's going to happen, right? I mean, you've got that. Um, So basically, I guess whoever's going to draw Rutgers in Maryland probably going to be at the end of that list, and whoever's going to draw the the tough teams is going to be at the top of that list. So, I mean, I I understand what what Brandon's doing here, and I don't disagree. I think that's the the right way to go about it. But basically, you're ranking crossover games at this point. I mean, you've got to Mm -hmm. say that the Big Ten West schedule is easier for the Big Ten West teams, but then you're ranking crossover games that's uh you know that's that's basically what we're in this that that's what's getting us through september here in the big 10 and let's remember uh in a in a different world when we had a full schedule to look forward to and out of conference games all three of those teams in the bottom of the pecking order playing teams that were considered ranked opponents in preseason rankings penn state heading to virginia tech ohio state facing oregon Wisconsin facing Notre Dame those are off the board and, and what you're left with is what you're left with and, and as we said they don't have to play themselves and, and they are considered the cream of the crop uh, in the Big Ten this year so there's our rundown we have a, a bunch of coverage on the schedule and we'll continue to have that up online 247.com let me first throw this in 60% off annual VIP subscriptions available to all new subscribers through this Sunday uh, it's our back to football deal so hop on board now for the VIP access to our recruiting coverage and all of our inside information regarding Penn State. Sean, we're going to get to a break in a moment, but let's hit on Micah Parsons' watch quickly because there has not been much tangible evidence of any movement there. Uh, Aside from Franklin, again, bringing up Micah Parsons and and kind of leaving that door open, as he said, on Saturday morning when he made his appearance on that Fox pregame show as as the Big Ten schedule was being announced. Uh, He again referenced the fact that, you know, they wouldn't mind having Micah Parsons back in this defense as an All-American linebacker. But, uh, Sean, are you retaining wet blanket status when it comes to this subject, or have you moved at all on your stance? Well, I don't know why I would change. I mean, I'm just uh, sitting over here soaked, as as usual, trying to bring bring people down, because that's what I do. Now, I mean, I, I think, based on what we've seen, and I know James Franklin alluded to this a little bit, um, they, they want him back. They, they're trying to do what they can to figure out what it would take to get him back. And then the next step would be actually trying to convince him to come back. And that's not, uh, it's not going to be easy when you've already been out for a long, long time. So, um, you know, they're, they're hopeful that, you know, something can happen. And, you know, if you're a Penn state fan, you're not used to the chips falling your way, especially this year, but you know, I guess there's a sliver of chance that it's going to happen, but I still don't. I still think it would be one of the bigger shocks in, in that I've seen covering this team as long as I've covered this team if Micah were to come back. Uh, just reading the tea leaves, and that's what I call my uh, Twitter feed of Micah Parsons. Uh, the last two tweets in the past 15 hours, one is uh, him promoting his Cameo profile, which is where you get paid money to give someone a birthday shout-out or just a general uh, congratulations on something. And, and uh, then the other is... Uh, about the Lions needing him on defense, but it's about the Detroit Lions and potentially drafting him. So those are the last two tweets we've seen from Micah Parsons, a retweet about the Detroit Lions potentially drafting him and a promotion of his cameo profile. So I don't think that lends a lot of hope. 
Last we saw him uh, Friday evening when Micah Watch was really fired up, Sean. Uh, we saw him in a private jet with two former number 11s who, who uh, played linebacker at Penn State, Navarro Bowman, uh, LeVar Arrington. Not sure where that jet was headed. I'm sure our sleuths on the, on the message board tracked that down at the, at the end of the weekend, by the end of the weekend. But uh, Micah Parsons is enjoying his best life right now, and, and he's letting everyone else have the conversation. Yeah, that's um, that's a lot of talent in one jet, by the way. That's uh, <laughs> incredible um, when you think about those guys and, and what they were able to do um, just in terms of raw talent. I mean, you know, I, I know LeVar had his issues in the NFL. Navarro eventually, you know, succumbed to injuries, but uh, so much talent, uh, just guys that can find the football and go get the football and, and do what they can just on, on a natural level that was different than their peers. So, yeah, so much talent. I don't know what the, what that was about, but at the same time, uh, you know, it gave some people to interesting to follow, I guess. It's always interesting to follow Micah. That has been the case since his earliest days of the high school process. And uh, uh, we will stay with you here. We got a lot more to come. Stay with us here in the Lions 24-7 podcast. Going to talk about uh, some top performances by Penn State recruits. Get into an upcoming commitment that very well may impact the Nittany Lions 2021 class. And a quick NFL rundown before we get to our five-star mailbag right around the corner. Let's turn our attention back to the recruiting trail now as Penn State looking to build out the remainder of its 2021 recruiting class. Last episode, we, we brought in that conversation uh, that, that James Franklin had with media members last Wednesday and, and very much not thrilled with what he's got cooking so far and what they still have out there. They have not been able to bring on board. Could get some positive news upcoming, though, Sean. Diego Pounds on Monday evening announcing that he is ready to determine his college destination. An announcement will be held on Friday, looking at 3.30-ish that afternoon. So maybe the Nittany Lions close out the week with commitment number 14 for the class. And this is a name that we have been referencing for a while. And for at least a few weeks, it's been in terms of a uh, this one could be end over soon. We'll have an answer in just a matter of days. Kind of uh, been in limbo for a while regarding Diego Pounds. This is a guy that uh, we thought a decision may come at some point in August, and and he's not playing his senior season, or their team's not playing their senior season right now. Uh, so he's got time to think about it, time to get things done. Uh, the 25th at 3.30 is when he's set to announce. Penn State has all five predictions on the 24-7 sports crystal ball, including yours and mine, Steve Wiltfong, Brian Doan in there as well. So uh, there's a lot that uh, a, a lot pointing to the Nittany Lions here. I think it would be a nice way to get back on track. They've got 13 commitments right now, just two offensive line commitments with Landon Tangwall and uh, Nate Bruce from Harrisburg in there as well. Pounds is a guy that's uh, he's a big kid. He's about 6'6", 305, moves very well, good feet. Uh, he's, I think he's a a project, no doubt about it. It's going to be a couple uh, couple years before you see him make an impact, but that's perfectly fine. I think he's got good feet. He can play uh, tackle, can play guard, probably is going to be a tackle at the next level, and that's what we're looking for uh, when we talk about what Penn State wants in terms of uh, length, in terms of body type and things like that to work with. Has developed an incredible relationship with Phil Troutwine. Also doesn't hurt. He's got a great relationship with Landon Tangwall. Um, 
you know, I think those things add up to, to Penn State being in a really good spot here. The North Carolina offer came in late. Uh, I think that was something that was kind of a sticking point for him and uh, and his family because that, that was a little bit offensive considering that they went after a bunch of out-of-state guys before they went after him. So I think that that's something uh, that's a storm that needed to be weathered. And I think Penn State has done a good job of keeping up their relationship during the whole thing and keeping uh, keeping that status as, as the reported leader. So I like where Penn State State stands going into this announcement uh, Friday afternoon, and, and it would be a big one. I mean, to be honest with you, Penn State, 13 commits right now, um, has lacked momentum for a long time. So for them to get back on the board would be uh, would be a pretty big step forward in finishing out this 2021 class. And a big one for, for Phil Troutwine in his first year on campus. We know that, that 2022 is off to a nice start in terms of bringing on Drew Shelton, the top-ranked in-state offensive lineman for that cycle. But it's been a long time since Landon Tangwall came aboard with this class, and, and he's the most recent addition on the offensive front for 2021. And, and Tangwall, as you said, great relationship here with Pounds. He's been uh, really trying to hammer it home during our conversations, I, I think, back to April, like, Keep an eye on Diego Pounds. I don't think people are talking about him enough in term, with Penn State and him ending up in this class. And now as things progressed, he was very clearly the crystal ball swung toward that way. And Tengwall now shifted the conversation to, I want him to be my roommate. So clearly they're, they're very much on the same page and uh, he will be thrilled to bring him on board for this class. The, another crystal ball pick, just a note here because of what we said about North Carolina and the Tar Heels have been a, a bit of a problem for a lot of teams on the recruiting trail uh, in 2021 cycle because the, a lot of success for them. But Michael Clark, who, who, who covers a lot of North Carolina uh, recruiting ground down there, he also has a pick in uh, four pounds to end up at Penn State. That's going back to mid-August. So as of now, as we record uh, on, on late morning on Tuesday, 100% of the crystal ball projection goes to Penn State. We will have full coverage of his announcement. And if he commits to Penn State, we will discuss it right here on the Lions 24-7 podcast on the uh, upcoming Friday edition of our show. Uh, sticking on the offensive line very quickly, uh, there's a lot of teams still on this list for Gunnar Givens, who is the number one offensive tackle in 2022 composite rankings. But you got to make the cut to make the next cut and ultimately get the commitment. Penn State, one of 12 teams in that top group. They caught up with Brian Doan about that decision um, for our VIP subscribers up on lines247.com. But, uh, Sean, this is a guy you have referenced uh, in your reporting on the potential for the 22 offensive line class. Um, and, and this is a guy who carries a ton of clout, as we said, a five-star and the number one guy at his position in, in those early composites. A ways to go on Gunnar Givens out of Virginia. Uh, he's a five-star kid. Uh, he swapped spots between 24-7 sports and the 24-7 sports composite rankings with Zach Rice, who's also in Virginia and a big-time target for Penn State. Uh, this is a guy that Penn State hasn't gotten on campus yet, but this is one I think he was slated to visit in March. So this would have would have happened had it not been for the shutdown. I think Penn State's in a good spot here. I think they're one of a few teams that are you know, very high on that list. Of course, Virginia Tech's right there. Clemson's a school that he's high on. And I think Penn State is that third team in there. So off to a good start here. And, and like I said, keep going back to Troutwine and the job that he's been able to do so far and, you know, the relationships that he's been able to forge. I'm not saying he's going to get who he wants or pick and choose who he wants in the 2022 classes or class, but that's uh, that's as good a start as you could really hope for. Drew Shelton, of course, a really good one already committed. So trending in the right direction up front. Sticking with the 2022 class, but going from a target to a commit, Bo Prabula made his debut in a new offensive attack for Central York on Friday evening and uh, made quick work in that one, Sean. Five touchdowns before halftime. Um, 
certainly not going to be the most difficult challenge he faces in terms of an opponent as a junior high school player. But uh, you wondered what we see from the Penn State uh, uh, Penn State commit. Uh, really, you know, just with what he had to work with and, and regardless of who's lined up against him, you can't ask for really a better performance. He was not really able to show off the wheels because he didn't really need to get out of the pocket and evade much pressure. But you saw him move behind the line of scrimmage, hit some guys while he was on the run and, and five throwing touchdowns in two quarters. Uh, that says a lot. It's been a while since I watched a York County football game and Oh boy, that was uh, that was something. So, but Prabula did what he needed to do. He got the ball out. Uh, that that new offense seems to have him, you know, spreading it around, throwing around a little bit more, and and did a good job of doing that. Um, really didn't get to see him at his best in terms of being athletic and making stuff out of nothing and things like that. But he, he didn't have to. I mean, Red Lion, who they were playing, was was not good. Um, you you just uh, you just saw him get the ball out basically to his receivers. Some of it was screen, some of it was across the middle, but throwing to open receivers all day. So not a ton that you can take away from that tape, other than that he did what he had to do. He put the ball where he needed to be and came out with some pretty nice stats. We have highlights and uh, a bit of a write-up up on lines247.com. So so check that out. For, to put, get your own eyes on Bo Prabula, who is uh, at this point on track to become the first Penn State signee out of the in-state quarterback class in, in a decade. So a yeah, long he's gonna, time he, coming. He's going to do numbers this year, too. Yeah, oh, yeah. With that offense and the way that they've started and the schedule that they play, he should be putting up some ridiculous numbers. As of now, the number 10 dual threat quarterback in 24-7 sports 2022 rankings. Uh, Back in the 2021 class, we had a chance to see uh, some Michigan standouts return to action as that state got underway with a late kickoff and a revised kickoff. Uh, Didn't look like we'd see any football in Michigan this fall. That changed during recent weeks, and that meant we had a great Detroit showdown uh, between King High and Cast Tech uh, last weekend. And uh, you you documented this one in detail up on our message board, Sean. Uh, both King twins, Kalen and Kobe, stood out uh, during your evaluation of that matchup. And it was Kalen, uh, the cornerback, who is uh, you know teetering on that brink of three-star and four-star status for 24-7 sports, coming up with three touchdowns on the afternoon. Firmly believe that Kalen King's a four-star. I think he'll, he'll end up there on 24-7 sports. We'll see what the, that does to his composite. But he was just – he was excellent uh, in terms of – production and promise. I think he was the best prospect in that game. Um, I think that that his brother Kobe was probably the best player in that game. And, you know, the, you, you recognize that there's a difference between being the best player in the field and being the best prospect on the field. Just love what I saw from Kalen King in terms of his change of direction, his balance, that speed burst that, you know, that really was one of the questions that we had. I mean, he's got a, a sub four second shuttle. So quickness, obviously not an option or not a, an, an uh, not a hindrance or anything like that for Kalen King, but some of the numbers on his 40s have been a little slow, really haven't added up with uh, when you take into account the sub four second shuttle. Um, so, but you, you saw a lot of it on Saturday playing against, you know, Cass King is one of the best uh, games in the Midwest, uh, a little bit sloppy at times, a lot of penalties, a lot of things like that, but you saw Kalen King go out there and he was on another level offensively, defensively. They really didn't throw at him uh, more than once or twice, but wasn't afraid to come up and make contact. And speaking of contact, Kobe King loves contact. That kid uh, was all over the place. He was a running back, scored a touchdown uh, off of what looked to be a handoff or a bobbled snap. It just kind of got the ball and went and, and crossed the goal line. Um, and then he sought out guys on defense, played a really good game at middle linebacker, moved all around the field. I think he was skinnier than I thought he was going to be 
you look at the pictures of Kobe, you look at some of the stuff from last year, and you thought maybe a little bit stocky. Um, he's not tall. He's, he's six foot probably. Um, and But he can move a little bit better than you, you would think. I had him as a Mike backer all the way, which kind of limits his, uh, you know, projection uh, as, a, as a player at the next level. But I think you play either spot in the box for Penn State. Just a, a really good football player. Um, again, size, length, all that kind of stuff it may limit his projectability in the future. But in terms of if you picked one guy out of that game and said, hey, who's going to be the best player in this field today uh, with, with some really good players out there, that, that was Kobe King. Yeah, when these two programs get together, you you know you can set a, a high over under in terms of how many guys on the field right now are going to end up playing Power Five football between King and and, and Cast Tech. And, and by the way, I don't know if we actually said who won the game, but uh, behind Kalen King's three touchdowns, uh, it was a, a Cast Tech victory, thirty four to twenty six. Um, you mentioned this before on that video that you shared. Don't get a lot of looks at Jalen Reed, uh, who's at safety uh, on the other side of the field uh, for King. But I, I will say one thing I took away, Dante Moore, I know he put up big numbers last year as a, as a freshman a starter for King at quarterback. Uh, he's a guy who's one of those early 2023 Penn State offers. And you can see why, you know, so early in his high school career, he's a kid who's getting a, a bunch of interest early from across the Power Five uh, spectrum and, and someone that Penn State will certainly want to be keeping close tabs on in the city of Detroit as it looks to, to recruit a quarterback at a high national level in the 2023 cycle. Yeah. Dante Moore, you, you saw what, what coaches see in him and, you know, he threw a, a couple of really, really nice deep balls. Um, arm strength doesn't seem to be a problem where he's best is in the improvisational game was able to run around and, and when he's rolling out, especially to his right, uh, he can put it on the money and that's something, you know, a young quarterback, he's just a 10th grader this year. That's something you don't see much from those guys. So, uh, really excited to see where his development goes from here. He's got some, you know, some smoothing out to his game, but it's early in the season. You know, you're not sure how much practice time he's gotten in, how many live reps he's been able to get in. But I, I don't think there's any doubt he's a, uh, a guy that could compete at this level and play in, big, in the Big Ten. And that's why you see his offer list the way it is, including Penn State. So I, I like what I saw from Dante Moore. He wasn't afraid to, uh, you know, to put the ball out there and let his guys go get it. Sometimes they helped him out. Other times they didn't. You mentioned Jalen Reed. I don't want to get out of here without talking about Jalen Reed. Um, it was so tough to watch him on defense because this was far from an all 22. It seemed like when Cast Tech had the ball, that camera angle was was tight in there. And being a safety, that's just you know a process of of, of elimination there. So he didn't fill off uh, you know on in the running game as well as he did on his junior season. I mean, he was around the ball, no doubt, but really didn't see the come up the field and, and make that play mentality. What I did like, he he was better in coverage than he was uh, as a season ago, and I think that's really been the knock when you look at. Jalen Reed uh, always looked as, you know, that Marcus Allen guy, that guy that can come up and, and you know, sort of be a uh, de facto linebacker that can come up and play the run. Saw him play the pass a couple of times, did a really good uh, job there. I think his most impressive uh, plays were on offense where they kind of were struggling to get going. They brought him in the backfield, handed it off to him, and you can see the speed. You can see the athleticism. Uh, a lot to like there with Jalen Reed in terms of just being a pure athlete. Don't know that he's a, a game ready safety by any ma- any stretch of the imagination, um, but you know he's a really good athlete that could stick in there and and you know it kind of showed up that those kind of things, those little things showed up on the tape. High school game action underway in Michigan. We've seen it uh, weeks earlier in, in neighboring state Ohio, and you're going to see it now in, in New Jersey the second week of October if things remain on track. And, and as we said, Bo Perbula among the Pennsylvania high school players who got back to work 
uh, in-game action this past weekend. Great to see for them. Um, great to see all that offseason uh, work getting to, to kind of come out on the field. You, you wonder if that's going to happen for a lot of players in a lot of different states here in America. Um, turning our attention from the preps to the pros, we love the return of football. We're always so excited to see those first snaps and those first couple Sundays and, and Saturdays and, and just kind of digest all the action. But we're always reminded so early that it is a brutal, brutal game. And unfortunately, this one hit close to home for Penn State fans on Sunday afternoon, early in the New York Giants contest at the Chicago Bears. Superstar running back Saquon Barkley uh, ends up tearing an ACL, as we now know. Uh, other damage to the knee as well. We're not going to see him again uh, for the remainder of this season. Fortunately, we have seen superstar running backs come back from this injury and, and continue to play great for, for several years ahead. It's not the same kind of injury that it was viewed as in the 90s, 80s, and, and in the decades preceding that, but it certainly is awful to see for anyone who supports Saquon or, or appreciates the New York Giants and Man, it was uh, you know a tough scene because he's a guy you're going to be seeing on commercials throughout the season, but not on the football field. And and you saw the kind of reaction that it had around the league. Uh, you know, just people that cover been around him. You know what kind of magnetic individual Saquon Barkley is. It sucks, man. I mean, just like you, you were hoping for the best. Um, it didn't look all that promising when he went down, but uh, that just. That sucks. And if you're a Giants fan, man, I don't know. And that's coming from a Washington fan. I don't yeah. know what you do. I don't know what you do from here. So uh, that, that it stinks that we're not going to be able to see him for the rest of the year. Um, I do think he'll come back strong. I think he's got that mentality. And, you know, he's been able to, uh, you know, deal with what's in front of him um, for the last couple of years in, in his high school and college careers. And, and he's come out I, I, far be it for me to bet against Saquon Barkley, I guess is what I'm saying. It, it, would, it would not be wise to do so. No love lost here for the New York Giants from from this podcast, but certainly with Saquon Barkley, we'll be we'll be rooting hard for him to come back uh, better than ever and bounce back um, in 2021. And uh, unfortunately, a long road ahead between now and, and that next NFL snap for Saquon. Um, elsewhere at running back out of Penn State, Miles Sanders followed up Barkley's lead last year and ended up uh, leading the way all rookies in total yards. Missed the opener after a lingering hamstring injury. Ended up fumbling on his third touch of the game against the Rams and a loss to the Rams. But he bounced back well. He was clearly the bell cow running back for the Eagles. 23 touches, 131 total yards, uh, a touchdown in that performance. Eagles fans are going nuts about what they've got, what they've seen through two games. But this reinforces the fact that from last year where Miles was kind of mixed in with a bit of a rotation, came on strong late, he had 23 touches. The next guy, Boston Scott, had seven. So I think this is really going to be a great opportunity the next 14 games for Miles Sanders to show that he can be a top 10 NFL running back and that bell cow sort of player out of the backfield. And he's going to have to be a receiver too. Uh, mm -hmm. The Eagles have shown that they're not – you know, the, that offensive line is going to give them trouble and they're going to have to be throwing the ball, whether that means they're playing from behind or whether that means they, they need to use the screen game a little bit more. It's tough to say, but he's going to have to do it in both aspects. And, you know, if you're a PPR fantasy guy, Miles is, uh, is a good guy to have for you right now. In case it wasn't obvious from his time in Happy Valley, K.J. Hamler, a dynamic weapon. It's part of the reason why Denver invested a second round draft pick in him. Again, hamstring injury popped up like Miles Sanders during August camp. We didn't see him in the opening week. 
but we did see him on Sunday and and what was another injury filled game for the Denver Broncos. They lost their starting quarterback, Drew Locke. They lost their number one receiver, Cortland Sutton, which could be big here. Uh, But KJ gets three receptions, almost 50 yards uh, through the air. He adds an eight yard rush and he also returned a kick for 18 yards. So a guy that's going to be a factor uh, all over on offense, uh, on special teams once again, like he was at Penn State. And going back to that Cortland Sutton departure for the rest of the season, torn ACL, he's done for the year. He was their leading receiver, uh, and that means big big opportunities, not just for K.J. Hamler, but Deshaun Hamilton, who is a veteran in that room. It is a young receiver group. They have three rookies, Hamler, Tyree Cleveland, and Jerry Judy that they're counting on. But uh, Hamilton is as established as anyone in terms of being on that roster. Year number three, he was the, uh, listed as the direct backup, Sean, behind Cortland Sutton on Denver's official depth chart. We'll see how that shakes out with the new talent that they've added this year, like K.J., but Deshaun Hamilton in year three of the NFL really uh, could be a big moment for him in determining what his future looks like in Denver and in the league in general. It could be. And then also, since we started recording, uh, Denver has signed Blake Bortles. So, you know, everything that Whoa. you just said, uh, yeah, that's that's how it works. So um, we'll see. I mean, tremendous opportunity for him and, and Hammy in, in Denver to to get something done with Cortland, Cortland Sutton out. I mean, they're going to have to they're probably going to be a team that's playing from behind. So maybe maybe the numbers will come for both those guys. Uh, it be interesting. You're going to see three former Penn State wide receivers. Someone on the message board asked, has this happened before? Three former Penn State wide receivers sharing the, an NFL field on a Sunday. Uh, Denver and the Bears uh, met um, this, this past week. And, and so you had that, or I'm sorry, Denver and the Bucks meet this week. That, I'm throwing off my receivers. You're going to have Chris Godwin, who's back in action after a concussion protocol, missed last week. So you'll have Godwin on the field with Deshaun Hamilton, with KJ Hamler in that matchup. So uh, a lot to like if, if you're just looking for a game to tune into late on Sunday. I think that's a 425 kickoff. Three different Penn State receivers should be running a significant amount of routes in that contest. Godwin's back from concussion protocol. Itor Grossmatos, not sure on him. He missed his second opportunity to get into an NFL game as a rookie uh, with that concussion protocol on Sunday. It's a far cry from where Penn State used to be when you're talking about you know, uh, confusing the number of receivers that they have out there. It used to be Penn State didn't have too many receivers in the NFL. Now all of a sudden you're talking about three in one game. Right, um, right. So it's a it's a good it's a good thing. It's a good thing for that. And speaking of uh, you know receivers here, your boy, uh, yeah. the, the fan club president here, Mike Kosicki, uh awesome on Sunday. Uh, he had the big one handed catch. I think he went for eight for one thirty and a touchdown. Uh, really, uh, you know, picking up some fantasy buzz. I mean, in addition to fantasy, he's doing some good, good things in, in reality as well. But boy, he was uh, he was fantastic on on Sunday. Looks like a real breakout game for him. Yeah, I'd like to formally commence the Mike Kosicki fan club meeting. You are welcome to to stay, Sean. Um, but yeah, yeah Field it, Yates. That's a good. That's a good pickup. That's right. Well, look, it, it, it's it's great to see because because Mike has has you know he he talked about this on the podcast when he was on with us back in March. He felt like his first couple of years in the NFL very much reminiscent of his first couple of years at Penn State, where he's being asked to do something that he wasn't asked to do before. He was he was a wide receiver at Southern Regional, and and he was a he was just the guy who would go and slam slam the ball uh, into the net on the basketball court. Uh, just the best athlete in pretty much anything he did. He had to become uh, a, a tight end. And, and, you know, did he get to that point by the end of year four where he was going to be an every down all around tight end for Penn State? You know, th- I think a lot of people still have questions about the blocking. And, and that's what he said the NFL has been uh, learning more about 
hand in the dirt. If you want to stay on the field on, on, on every situation, if you want a guy who commands those reps, you got to be able to do a lot more than make acrobatic football catches, which is, you know, what his highlight reel was filled with at Penn State. So I know he's proud of the work he's put in and the Miami Dolphins are leaning on him. You know, Ryan Fitzpatrick looking his way a lot in week one in the, in the end zone. I saw one was intercepted, I believe. And then there was a, uh, maybe a pass interference, but even though the numbers weren't great, I think it was three catches for 30 yards in week one. The targets were there. It came to fruition for him against the Buffalo Bills. Career high in catches with eight, career high in, in, re in receiving yards with 130, and that is a Miami Dolphins tight end record for single-game receiving yards. Sean, the Dolphins have been around since 1966, so that means something. That's awesome. And yeah, the targets have been there for him. Uh, five targets in week one, 11 targets in week two. It's got to be pretty high. And, and, and as we've seen with Mike, uh, despite his drop issues early in his career, you throw it to him enough, he's going to make something happen. Full disclosure, uh, since the meeting uh, is, is almost adjourned, I opted at the last second to put Rob Gronkowski in my starting lineup on my fantasy team over Mike Kosicki. I thought without Chris Godwin there, Brady would hit his old boy. Gronk got a goose egg, uh, zero, uh, and then Mike had like 27 points on the bench. Not happening again, I'm, I'm, and I'm sorry for ever downing uh, Mike's abilities. Won't happen again. Uh, That's what you get. Um, but <laughs> we got time for one mailbag question on this episode because we've spent so much time covering all this other content. Uh, we're going to get into more mailbag questions. They have been coming steadily to our Apple podcast. Appreciate your five-star reviews and your questions, a bunch of them about this season, and we'll start with this one. Sean, could the delayed Big Ten schedule actually benefit Penn State, considering the amount of new coaches they need to mesh with and the installation of a new Nittany Lions offense? Yes and no, in the sense that uh, a week ago this question was yes. I mean, more time for, for Sean Clifford to figure out where he needs to be and get those guys where he needs to be. You've got a young group of receivers who need to understand what's going on. And, you know, to be honest with you, you can get a lot done as a wide receiver in a in a practice setup where you're not wearing pads. You know, you you can get a lot, uh, you know, sort of nailed down. So that would help. Then all of a sudden, the schedule comes out, and Ohio State is there week two, and that kind of changes everything. So I I think it, it it will help with the installation. It will help with these guys getting on the same page in terms of verbiage, in terms of what they need to do to get that offense clicking. But you know you got to ramp that up, and you know you got to be on on your game in week one against Indiana on the road. You've got to be on your game at home in week two against Ohio State. So the start of that schedule, I think, sort of negates what the uh, what the value was in you know, learning that offense, getting where you need to be, getting in the spot where you need to be. And you don't have an out-of-conference game. You don't have an opportunity to sort of, uh, you know, test some things, play around with some things against some some lesser opponents. So I think that it, I, I see where you're going with this, and I think it's a good point to give yourself more time to get where you need to be, to, to view more film, to get that playbook, to, more of that playbook in. But at the same time, with the start you have to that season, it's kind of negated by all that. Just two things I wanted to point out, and I, I, I agree with your sentiment overall. I, I just think uh, it's worth noting that, that Sean Clifford has a lot of chemistry to build with this receiver group. We know he has Pat Fryermuth as a security blanket. We know Jahan Dotson and him have, have played a significant number of, of games together. But beyond that, uh, you know, we talked about Taylor Stubblefield. The spotlight is on him once again in that wide receiver's room. Who's going to step up? I think a big part of that is who's going to develop that rapport with Clifford where, where they can anticipate each other's actions a bit. That's going to be hard to do on the practice field, but an extended extended portion of practices now, maybe that helps a bit. And, and I think really beyond Clifford, it was a discussion we got into with the mailbag last week. What do you got in that quarterback room? 
Well, you'd like to think that Kirk Shiraka would have a better foundational understanding of what he is working with in terms of guys who are going to fill slots two through four on that depth chart um, through these extra practices, how they're absorbing the offense. Um, again, so much unknown until you actually get to those 60 minutes of a game on a Saturday and, and, and figure out what works and what doesn't. But I think, you know, those are the two spots I would look toward. With Pat Fryermuth back, that's a big stabilizer. But with Pat Fryermuth sticking around, that's a big stabilizer for this offense. But I think there's just so much ground to make up uh, with, with Clifford and his receiving crew. And additionally, um, with, 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 uh, with, the, uh, with the quarterback depth that, that just has not had a chance to play much action and, and certainly none under the direction of, of Kirk Shiraka. Yeah, you're not really worried about the – uh, tight end group, the running back group, even the offensive line to an extent, but you know, the quarterbacks and receivers is such a big part of that. And, you know, if you don't, if you don't have that clicking, you're going to be in trouble. And if you go to Indiana and it's not clicking, then you can find yourself in a hole and that can be a bad spot. And again, Indiana, another team that that's going to have a, a new offensive coordinator, a guy who was already on that staff. So a different situation. Um, but you know, there's a lot of programs that are wondering what will it look like for us with a new coaching staff and a new play caller that's across the country, Penn state's one of those spots, and it was a splashy hire bringing in Kirk Shiraka when they did uh, a month after seeing him on the opposing sideline. So uh, we'll talk about a lot more. We have some great questions that I would love to get to here in the episode, but we're out of time. We'll do those later this week. And, and as we said, a commitment coming from Diego Pounds, at Nittany Lions offensive line target out of North Carolina, uh, 3.30 on, on Friday. So uh, that's kind of how you can anticipate the podcast timing out. Uh, we'll have reaction to his decision and what it means for Penn State. But for now, we encourage you to keep dropping your five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts along with your questions. Uh, Take advantage of our 60% off deal for Football is Back uh, for new subscribers up on lines247.com. That is through Sunday. Uh, In the meantime, stay informed on lines247.com with the latest. uh, I know Brian Doan currently, as we speak, has an insider recruiting chat going on. So go to the message board, check out what he has to say on the Nittany Lions recruiting efforts. Sean, anything else to add before we put the punctuation mark on another episode? No, I thought you were punctuating it, so I was caught off guard by you bringing it back to me. But uh, (laughs) if you're still listening, thanks for listening, and and we'll catch you later on this week. All right, that's going to do it. Thanks for tuning in to the Lions 24-7 podcast.